0: The topic of having icons to look up to has always been really big for women, people from marginalized communities. So I thought it'd be interesting for us to talk today a little bit about the women that we look up to or that are we're expected to look up to, which I think is a very different type of pressure.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, and of course, I love her music, so I'm always talking about Beyonce and Nicki mm-hmm. and all those people. <laughs> all right, so Zine. Um... What do you, Who are your female icons, actually? Let's start off with that. That's an interesting question, because I'm not... It's <laughs> <laughs> um, a funny question, apparently.
0: It is, because I think that um, for, as a Cana- Chinese-Canadian woman, there's always been a very limited number of Asian women in popular media to look up to. Um, so I always had this weird relationship whereby, because of a lack of visibility, you feel this need to attach onto someone like... Margaret Cho or Lucy Liu, regardless of how your actual feelings might be, and then you're also expected to be looking up to them, even, and which is also an opposition to be in because on the one hand, yes, because there's no one else in the landscape, you probably do, but on the one other hand, there's almost this pressure to have to look up to them at the same time. I remember I had this weird incident um, when I was in high school where I met someone that I'd, um, I met. Through her friends online, and when she came and met me, she was from the east coast of Canada, and she said mm-hmm. that she expected me to look like um, Zhang Zi from *Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon*, <laughs> which was interesting. I was like, "Well, that's flattering that you thought," and clearly, I do not look like her. Um, and I admired her a lot. Like that's I clearly what... have no idea what she looks like. You or uh, you? Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you know who she is? I'll Google it later. Okay.
1: Go
0: on, go on. Do you know the movie *Crouching Tiger*? Hi- I do. Like- oh, okay. Did he watch it?
1: I don't remember. <laughs> Listen, you're kind of outdated right now.
0: What? No, okay. <laughs> she is a major Chinese film star. I think you are much. I got it. Okay. I got it. But anyways, like seeing that movie as a kid was like a big deal because I think it might have been one of the first live action movies I'd seen in theaters mm-hmm. with a, like an Asian female heroine, and much less, of course, being an entirely Asian production. And so I did look up to her, but then there's this weird moment of like, you know, having my identity collapse into hers. That was very strange to me.
1: As in, when people walk around, they're comparing you to her? Yeah, or in this okay. case,
0: I, I was actually given this um, example explicitly that where I was being
1: compared to her. Oh, you know what? When I was in high school, okay, so I, I like to sing, and I was in the gospel, we were in this choir, and we were performing for a high school, Another high school and this girl literally comes up to me and she says, Oh my god, are you Fantasia? And this Oh is, my god, yeah, that's so hilarious. This is when like two thousand three, this is when Fantasia was big on American American Idol uh-huh. and I thought, Okay, fine and you know what's really interesting? The person who said this to me was a little black girl. Right, or not a little, clearly they're in like high school, elementary, no, middle school. The point is, is that another black person said, Oh, you're like, you're Fantasia. Like, we think you're like Fantasia. Um, Wait, so she th- said that you were like Fantasia or she thought you were Fantasia? That's my ego thought I was like, I was <laughs> Fantasia because I think she's a great singer, uh-huh. but I think she said like Fantasia. Oh, okay. The point is, I get on stage and Fantasia is what's being called out to me mm-hmm. right then, right? Like people are fitting you into this existing model of what someone that like you does. Yeah, basically. that wasn't very coherent. Yeah. Anyway, it was really funny. I think of Fantasia and um, yeah, and I guess you have uh, Zhang to look up to. Yeah, that was actually her last name. But... Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not how you wrote it down. I'm sorry. So for all the, no, no, the sorry. people we're looking at something, I'm
0: looking. Oh, at Oh, because I just put people. it in the Chinese order, which is last name first. But I think that so it's also interesting that supposed to know that very well. But so when she first started doing um, movies, they mm-hmm. had the Chinese order. But then as she became more famous in North America, mm-hmm. then they started doing the, the reverse, of the Western order. So Xi Zhang, because definitely that was a point of confusion for international I audiences. I see.
1: Hmm, that's really interesting. I have to admit, when you mentioned um, so when you mentioned Lucy Liu and Xi Zhang, right
0: No it's okay we know who you're talking about
1: (laughs) (sighs) well when you mention them all i could think about is they were they're also not that recent um right i mean the roles you were mentioning were a few years ago and so i'm really curious as to not only are they comparing you to like one or two people but they're also mentioning roles that have happened over five years ago yeah well lucy Lou has elementary right now blank stare Okay. Uh, Where she plays the
0: female (laughs) version of Watson to Sherlock Holmes. And she's been getting a lot of accolades for it. What is this called again? Elementary.
1: Where is it showing? How do I find it? I think it's on NBC. NBC? Yeah. Huh. Okay. So
0: basically it's like, first the the premise, people were very outraged by the premise, especially since the BBC Sherlock with Benedict Cumberbatch was so popular. Mm -hmm. And so because it was basically going to be like Sherlock Holmes set in New York City, which sounds inherently problematic because you're taking, a, you know, the British out of something that's so quintessentially British and making Watson into a woman, also, in this case, Lou. But people have been really happy with Sherlock it.
1: Sherlock Holmes in New York City would be SVU. Like the Special Victims yeah. Unit, Law and Order. That's what would happen if it were in New York City. Okay, you disagree? Okay.
0: I'm just looking at you.
1: I know. That That's your disagreeing look. Um, it's my diplomatic look. Mm-hmm. It's her English PhD look. Okay. Um, so, I know what I think about Beyonce. but What do you think about Beyonce, switching gears a little bit? Well, I think she's fabulous.
0: And I, well, I think it's, maybe it's easier to talk about how I see people talking about Beyonce, that on the one hand, I think that she's really being held up as an icon, but at the same time, she also gets a lot of shit um, Mm-hmm. being an icon, often from white feminists. And so, so one thing I see quite a bit is that often, even though Beyoncé obviously is a figure that should be critiqued, often the critiques are coming from a place where race isn't really thought about in terms of feminism. So sometimes she's being held up to this other standard um, by white feminists for not being respectable enough. On the other hand, I have seen some really interesting critiques by um, women of color feminists about Beyoncé. There's this one really interesting essay that had come out when the self-titled um, album came out, there was something called like Bottom Bitch. I don't know if you had oh, read it. I,
1: that was a, wait, what was a bottom bitch?
0: That was calling Beyonce a bottom bitch, which, which is oh. to say that um, what she's actually doing, even though she seems to be in a position of empowerment, is that because I think in relation to Jay-Z that she's still like, so the bottom bitch apparently is a phrase that comes out of pimping, where it's like she's the top mm-hmm. woman of the pimps, so-called bitches. Yeah. And so, on the one hand, she has this higher place among women, but at the same time, she's still responsible for uh, maintaining this type of patriarchal masculine power. And so I thought that was a very interesting essay to read.
1: Yeah, I think that brings up not something you probably talk about right now, but thinking about. Um, so if so depending on who you're talking to, I've heard people say bottom bitch, and that's actually a great thing, mm-hmm. right? Like. You're the bottom bitch. Like, I am. It's like, I'm the I'm the main girl. Back off. Like, don't touch my, my man, right? Mm-hmm. I've heard this. Um, so it's really interesting um, how people view different terms and when it gets used, how it has a different meaning. But I, I definitely, I see where you're coming from. Um, one thing I think about is the Grammys. Was it the Grammys? Yes. Where Beyonce opted to sing um, Precious Lord, Take My Hand. Was it the Grammys? this year
0: I actually don't know I'm sorry okay
1: so let me tell you about this story um, yeah so here's what happened Beyonce wants to sing precious Lord take my oh wait this is the Oscars because it's right before Common and John Legend yes. John Legend yes I performing. think you did, you
0: did tell me about this actually and how she took it away from the, the singer who's actually in the movie Selma right
1: yeah so so this here's the thing there was no opportunity there she made the opportunity it was the Grammy performance so beyonce actually approached john legend in common and said hey i would love to perform this song right before you lead in and um so that's all fine and well but it's also interesting that ladisi the person who sings the song in selma Mm -hmm. is also at the grammys and she doesn't perform the song so what's to me what's interesting about it is from a musical standpoint i was upset that she sang the song because she's just not a gospel singer and Precious Lord Take My Hand is really, it's a, it's, one of those, it's like when people go to karaoke and they all try to sing Whitney, but they can't reset octave, but they still try. It's like you don't like them. You give, you give them shade the whole time. And when Beyonce got up to sing the song, like you can hit the right notes, but there's no feeling, there's no motive. inspiration, there's, there's nothing. You're getting nothing from the audience. It's just a traditional gospel song, and she's just not gospel. So from a musical standpoint, I thought she shouldn't have done it. I thought C uh-huh. did a way better performance. But when you think about it, like what other men get called out for making an opportunity for themselves? Uh-huh. Uh, what other man would say, hey, I think this song should be sung. And also, uh, instead of me singing it, I want some other artists to sing it. Uh-huh. Like, was it, can you really say it was Beyonce's responsibility to um, give this song to another artist when she was the one who created the opportunity? So I, it was just one of those examples where I do think she shouldn't have done the song. It was, it was off. Um, but, but is she being judged by this other standard?
0: Yeah, that on the one hand, women are held to this higher standard of collaboration because we're supposed to get along. But at the same time, as a part of the paradox, we're also supposed to be bitches towards each other and tear each other down. And so that seems to sort of play into both. On the one hand, we're being held up to this um, level of cooperativeness. And then if we don't, then we fall into this other type of stereotype so you're Being damned way. to each other yeah oh also to go back to my earlier point the essay about uh, Beyonce and about bottom bitch was from the blog real colored girls
1: mm-hmm. <clears> I've read nice. that a few times I haven't seen this article but uh-huh. go on
0: No I just wanted to bring it up oh, in I case see. people are
1: interested Okay What I think is interesting about thinking about female icons is I've found that when I'm talking about them and I think I said this to you earlier but I, what I find more controversial than than liking them personally is admitting that I like them personally, admitting that I like them out loud. As an example, I like Nicki Minaj. I like Beyonce. That doesn't mean I will drink their bath water or anything. Right? <laughs> um, but it just seems like if the minute I say that I like them, then I get, there's a, a lot of back backlash with mm-hmm. that. Um, and so... I'm not a part of the and I'm not a part of the Beehive, but I feel like when I say I like them, people automatically assume that I'm just like so pro her, and i just like, no, I just like her music, and the same thing with Nicki Minaj. I don't know if I do half the thing that she actually does, but I do respect her music, I, I like some of her lyrics, um, and I like what she's trying to do. So I think it's interesting and unfortunate that we can't just say we like somebody without automatically assuming part of our personality and part of our um, identity. Like, if you like this person, you must be like them, mm-hmm. right? When even they're not even like what they're portraying. That's yeah. their job. Well, I
0: think it's, um, I wanted to bring this up that I think Laverne Cox, who's this am- amazing trans woman activist and actor, uh, brought up that she doesn't see herself as a role model, but as a possibility model, which I think is a, a good way to think about yeah. these in general. It sounds like for, yeah, for us, our relationship to these strong women that we like but don't accept uncritically is about possibility that they open this range of possibility but nonetheless the existing model is precisely a role model where people think that because you like something that automatically means you completely identify with it that means you completely endorse it and that there's sort of this unproblematic separation between the things that you like and the things that you want to be which i think is often is admittedly often the case like i think that's why people tend to be so sensitive when you criticize the things you like, or you try to say like the shows that they love or the people they love, like they might have something problematic because some people just can't hear that. And so there's always gonna be this backlash um, against you because for some people like love becomes this place where, um, because love is supposed to be like, not exactly uncritical, but not to have boundaries and be, sorry, unconditional, because love is supposed to be unconditional they think that you have to accept things unconditionally, but that doesn't mean uncritically. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, yeah, it does. I think um, it just reminds me of some conversations I've heard about Fresh Off the Boat
0: mm-hmm. and
1: how it may be hard for some audiences to look at this and realize that there are some negative aspects, that they may be making fun of black culture at the same mm-hmm. time that the character, a young Eddie Huang, is actually... Appreciating the cari- the the mm-hmm. black culture, and actually finding um a haven in this culture as he deals with his own struggles. It's
0: funny. Uh, one thing that I think that has come out of fresh off the boat is that it's made Constance Wu the mother into a mm-hmm. new icon for Asian American womanhood. Oh, how's that? Well, I think that I think she, the consensus seems to be that she's sort of the breakout star of the show because mm-hmm. like, she's just really. Uh, In the the role, she's extremely funny, but also out of the role, she said some really smart things about, I think, she used the phrase, like, Anglo-normativity or something like that, where she's very cognizant of the stakes of racial representation, and she's very smart about it, but she just has this, like, the strength and attitude about her that I think people admire her both in and out of the role, and... You may have seen that Disney said that they're gonna be making a live action Mulan and overwhelming what? Yes, live action <laughs> Mulan. And uh, overwhelmingly people have suggested in on BuzzFeed that Constance Wu should be Mulan, which oh, really? I do be behind.
1: But I do like her. She's yeah. I, I when I watch the show, I, I see someone who's really strong mm-hmm. and very opinionated and just really really confident, like just overwhelmingly confident that like watching her makes me feel confident too. I really like that portrayal of her.
0: The, yeah, one one of the scenes I particularly like is what she's really distressed that her, her son might not respect women.
1: Do you remember that? Oh, which one is this? I, I just ahead. remember there's
0: one part when she had, attacks him with, like, the stuffed toy and it says, like, you have to respect women, you have to respect women. <laughs> yes, yes. And I was like, well, if I was being a, a mother, like, I would, you know, I would want to teach, if I had sons, teach them consent and respect and I could... I could see that. I could see
1: that. I could see you doing so many things to your son. It would not be. It'd be hilarious.
0: In a good way, I hope. They'd
1: be so pro woman. What wo- pro woman? They might grow up thinking they're a woman.
0: That and then if my if, like they wanted to be trans, that would also be cool. Right. <laughs> yeah.
1: <that's>, yeah. <laughs> I do like Constance. I I actually also respect her off the screen because the show has gotten a lot of. Criticism, particularly about the accents, Mm -hmm. right? So people are upset that well, you're already Asian You know, and you don't have accents and you're actually trained to speak in this way and some people find that offensive Mm -hmm. And she's just saying hey, this is what the show is. I enjoy doing this. Um, I think she answers her criticisms Very she's very out there. She she is very pro the show in a way that Eddie Huang even isn't and it's his own show
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think accents are so difficult, and I think maybe that's one of the more obvious ways that respectability politics come up for Asian Americans, like how, cl- like, accent becomes a way of tracking how close you are to assim- assimilation often, hmm. and, like, it also reminds people a lot of, like, the type of violence of assimilation where they had to give up their their language. Um, for me, it's it's been interesting. I was born in Canada, and uh, English has been my primary language. When I was little, I was was sent to Chinese school for a while, but we didn't speak um Cantonese at home, so I never mm-hmm. picked it up. But nonetheless, even though I grew up at a place where I actually had like, like at least a quarter up to maybe like even half kids who were Chinese and Korean, a lot of the other kids, especially Asian kids, thought I was half white.
1: Oh really, why is that?
0: Because of how I spoke.
1: Oh, oh yeah, don't give me that uh, Yeah, <laughs> which I think is an interesting
0: um, subject. And even at, even at Cornell, I actually had someone who was Chinese American who asked me if I was half white because of the way I talk. Um, Hmm. So I think that's one reason where why. Wait, you
1: go? I'm Canadian.
0: Yes, I'm Canadian. Damn it, um, Chinese Canadian hyphenated. Uh, but there's so the whole debate about accents and the freshers off the boat. I think really goes to this issue, which is often very painful for a lot of people um, about their identity, because something that people get made fun of all the time.
1: That's interesting. I'm I'm think I'm personally thinking about, um, and I really should know where this article came from, but they were talking about. People who come here in accents, and how some people to assimilate get rid of their accents. Mm-hmm. Some people do it faster than others, and they found that in this community of um, so first, second generation Caribbeans, uh-huh. they actually tend to want to keep their accents. Um, so, and again, you might think that losing your accent makes you more American, helps you assimilate, but helping them keeping their accents is a sign of to other people to say, "Hey, I'm not black." I just came here. I'm not like these people. And they actually keep their accents. I think it was some professor from Harner College. Um, I'll have to look that up. But I thought that was really interesting that, again, people, and I've seen people interact in these ways that they try to, again, keep their culture, keep these things, keep their name so that people can distinguish them. Mm -hmm. Because I think that'll help them actually get farther ahead.
0: Yeah, it reminds me of. do you remember the tiger mom, Amy Chua?
1: Yeah, I remember. Anyway, so
0: she had this follow-up book up that was all about different types of model minorities. And of course, mm-hmm. so one of the model minorities, I think, is, like, um, uh, people from the Caribbean or, mm-hmm. like, from West Africa. And that there's this... So there's always this implicit hierarchy between, you know, the good black people versus the bad black people. And it seems like the way of maintaining the accent becomes this way of trying to distance themselves and, like, try to, try to con- maintain this... Um, Worthiness for the category of model minority, if that makes sense.
1: So let me just add I did not read, I know about it, I didn't read it. Um, I would be a bad black person, so. Yeah, and I. I'd... <laughs> I would be the bad black person, definitely. Just be, I don't, yeah. I'm slave descended black. I can't separate from them. You also have two Ivy degrees, though. Yeah, I do have two Ivy League degrees. Well, I didn't say it was, it's complicated, right? I want to be accepted for all my complications. Um, And and then to be fair, I grew up, I speak like this. I'm from Mississippi. I don't have an accent. And um, it has always been said, people would ask me, where are you from? And I say, I'm from here. And like, no, 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 where are you from? Where'd you come from? Um, Are you from like Missouri or like, are you from North? They always assume i was from the North. And then when I actually moved North for college, People would ask me what country I was from because they assumed that I was huh, from some other country. These are black people, though, saying okay. this, or diaspora, black diaspora people.
0: That's interesting.
1: Yeah. I'm not really sh- Yeah. I was going to say I don't know what to make of it, but I do, um, the reason why I say I'm bad black, even though I have, I'm clearly doing very well for myself, is that my brothers aren't doing that well. Uh, my my family is still in this situation, and I also don't, like the idea that people can say oh but you turned out okay so everything must be fine like no it's Mm -hmm. not fine um I got lucky I had some there was some nature and nurture going on in there but um I won't allow you to tear other black people down in front of me Yeah, yeah so so you can't that's like the shadiest comment ever to tell me that I'm doing like, well, you, you turn out okay. Like, no, my brothers, like you're talking about my brothers right now. You're talking about my mother. You're talking mm-hmm, about my aunts. Mm-hmm. You're talking about my high school classmates. And the real difference, we, 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 grew up in the same place. We went to the same high school. And so in some ways, the differences are very small, very small mistakes that they may have, they might've made or opportunities that they didn't say yes to, or, weren't exposed to that make the difference between us. But culturally, no. So I, I think, and that's something that I kind of espoused as I got older.
0: Well, it reminds me of a comment that you told me that you received when you first got into the program, and I don't know if you want oh, to talk about it. which one? Oh, which one? <laughs> there, there are a lot about that you and Bobby had gotten about being the good black type, type of black people.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, when I first got to Cornell, I was... 30 minutes into meeting this person, um, Asian kid. I don't think that makes a difference though, but he said, Oh, you know what? You and Bobby should have children because we need more good black people in the world. (laughs) And he genuinely meant that genuinely. And I in the nicest
0: way possible, but obviously not. It was supposed
1: to be a compliment, Mm -hmm. um, that, that I need to reproduce so that we can have more good black people in the world. And, um, I was too shocked to really say anything. I wanted to hit him, but I also am aware <laughs> that I cannot just start beating people yes. up. The angry black woman. <laughs> in a scientific building, right? We were in, we were on <laughs> campus. So I just kind of laughed and walked away. And that's kind of been my default response. Um, the older I get, though, the more I, I have opportunity actually to say something. Because mm-hmm. growing up, it used to be pick your battles. You can't fight everything. And now I'm like, well... I'm tired. (laughs) I can't let people do this. But that did happen. The respectability, it does happen.
0: To go back to the issue of access and fresh off the boat, I think that they're in a little bit of a bind. Because on the one hand, yes, it is problematic to ask uh, actors without an accent to adopt one because it it harkens to this whole um, tradition that there's only certain types of Asian stereotypes being presented, which is heavily accented. But at the same time, to have characters who are Asian who are more realized who have accents anyway and that it doesn't impact how intelligent or how realized they are as human beings I think it goes some way to destigmatizing having an, an accent does that make sense
1: yeah I, I actually would agree with that I appreciate that they sound like they they sound because like we the, have the people accent. of
0: the, our generation and of previous generations our parents generation who do have accents and that's mm-hmm. not a bad thing and that actually is representative
1: mm-hmm. I almost I wonder if and I'm saying this as a black person when I see certain black, when I see black people portrayed in media, sometimes I get really defensive about it. Whereas people, other people seeing it, don't get that defensive. Um, I'm thinking about um, when, when black people get auto-tuned in the news. Um, mm-hmm. People think that's really funny, and even I might think it's funny in a vacuum. But the minute that I know that. Other people are also consuming these images. Yeah. I wonder, are they laughing with me for the same reasons? Do they understand um, where they're coming from? I get really defensive about it, and I'm thinking about this because you're bringing up all these things about accents and the um, the story of immigrants. And for me, I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking, oh yeah, accent sounds like someone I know, mm-hmm. and so I wonder how much that plays into this. If see, I'm I'm. I can empathize with the Asian experience, but I'm not Asian and I Mm -hmm. don't understand that as you might in the same way that when I see certain images, yeah, I get a little defensive and a little protective of who gets to see them and who gets to laugh because I just don't Mm -hmm. know. Or even when I go home and I talk to my family, um, they don't sound like me. They may not sound as um, educated or use appropriate grammar. There's some sort of, you know, I'm not sure if dialect's the right word or maybe ebonics is the word. But when I talk to them, I feel home, I feel family, mm-hmm. I feel friendly. But when I know other people hear it, I don't know if they're thinking those same things. And instinctively, I don't want to want them to hear that.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that there's also this whole thing about how the internet subculture does use black people as a joke, basically. And I think a lot of the auto-tuning does speak to that. Like, on the one hand, on the one hand, people is in a slightly admiring way, but. But at the same time, I think there is this element of mockery. I think it comes down to that people, the phrase that people have been using a lot. There's a difference between like liking black culture and liking black people. Mm-hmm. Have you seen Kimmy Schmidt yet? I no, have, but, but. I have. So this comes to the very problem for me of like, with the, the extremely catchy main song, which is a, a parody of auto-tuning black people, done by the very people who actually do that. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, is it drawing attention to it?
1: Or is it satire? Is it,
0: yeah, is it satire or not? Because at the end, we, do ha- like, we have this scene where Titus meets the guy who was mm-hmm. able to profit from the fame of it and shows, like, sort of the real-life side of what happens when you're a black person who gets used by media to become famous and then all these bad things happen to you afterwards like because they sort of forget about you because you become a meme and not a human being. But at the same time, like, I don't think the show entirely has us be critical of it.
1: Yeah, not, not the whole show. I, I saw it. I appreciated it. I thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. But I also did think, do people understand this is? not okay this is satire um yeah i was actually thinking about um i don't know if you remember so last year what happens in ithaca very normally is when um winter is ending there's a lot of ice it starts to melt and the gorges get really full and really beautiful and people want to go outside so i was walking there with a friend and then the syracuse news camera station they came up and they wanted to do an interview or just you know, have someone on camera saying, "Don't go there. It looks really nice, but ice is still breaking. You can fall and really injure yourself." Mm-hmm. And I remember being immediately very afraid of saying anything on camera, like any kind of raw, natural response, because I didn't want to be auto-tuned. I mean, <laughs> yeah. think about it. Yes. Hey, you would you walk on that ice ledge? Mm mm. Not walking <laughs> on that ledge. And, I, and I, that's what I wanted to say so much, and then I thought, no, that's going to be auto-tuned. <laughs> It's going to be autotune. Like, no. sweet Georgia Browns. Like, I'm going to be sweet Georgia, sweet New York Liz. It's going to be so bad. Yeah, and luckily they didn't take the clip where I said anything, and then they just kept the other guy. And then, um, but I still got made fun of because of the look on my face. I don't know if you remember this. <laughs> yeah, I do remember those, like, you talking about this I, still ha- I didn't say it, mm-mm, but I had the mm face. And, um... Yeah, and then I didn't put it on Facebook. Someone else did, and then they got, like, over 100 likes or something, like, a day.
0: Liz is making her a sassy black woman face. I'm making my sassy
1: black woman face. You know what makes me make the sassy black woman face? When someone tells me I'm making a sassy black woman face.
0: And you're like, it's just my face. No, they
1: say that, and then I get all sassy with them. Oh, okay. Yeah. But with the
0: Kimmy Schmidt thing, to go back about this whole theme of female role models, um, I think it... One thing I heard a lot in the first couple of weeks of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt coming out is people saying, well, people I really like and respect saying, I love Tina Fey, Tina Fey can do no wrong, this is wonderful. And it, like there is this way that she has been adopted and she and Amy Poehler have been adopted as very brightly and being recognized very brightly for women who are on the cutting edge of comedy. Um, but nonetheless, because people are so eager to embrace them because they are the main icons. People aren't really looking at the fact that sometimes they're not as good at some things. Like I think Tina Fey hasn't been the most nuanced about race, and people want to be quick to apologize that. Or I remember one thing that's come up is that she hasn't um, been very good about the representation of sex workers, for example. Hmm.
1: And in terms of she's done things about sex workers, or that not, she likes right. to make
0: a lot of like dead hooker jokes, basically, oh, I see. which is like a sort of easy fallback thing, yeah. but. Um, I follow some sex worker activists and that is definitely um, a sore point because yeah. it shows how dehumanized mm-hmm. sex workers are.
1: It'd be interesting, I don't know how, how, you, how one person you can get around that. I think that what it really means is that we need more voices Yeah. because something that I probably struggle with is knowing that, um, so when I think about media out there, I want my voice to be heard, I want someone like me to be heard. At the same time, I realize that, uh, that even I have blind spots, mm-hmm. right? I can't fix everything. There are things I think funny. Someone's going to think is really offensive.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So actually, yeah, I think I have a weird sense of humor. So,
0: Well, I think that for me, what it comes down to is both like the need for an increased plurality of voices mm-hmm. and possibility models just to expand the range. Mm-hmm. But at the same time that we have to be critical about the things we love, and like to be okay with accepting criticism. But at the same time, I think that on the, on the flip side, I think that the hate can also be disproportionate, that as much as we should be critical about love, we should also be critical about the hate, which is that we shouldn't entirely slander people, um, but should still be able to get something productive about it. On the one hand, we can't put them on the p- pedestal, but the other, other hand, we shouldn't completely tar and father them. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, but that's why I think that we need more voices. So mm-hmm. if there are more, vo- more, more voices, then you don't have to listen to this one person for everything you need. Mm-hmm. There can be some voice that addresses that concern that's not being taken. Or vice versa, you can have someone on equal footing who can say, hey, that was offensive. I don't know if you know about this like this little culture, but when you say that to these people, it means this. So, again, I just think that having more voices will actually mm-hmm. help regulate something that I one person cannot give you alone.
0: Mm-hmm. And that you can like something and criticize it but the criticizing doesn't mean that you're shooting on it either. Right
1: so Tina Fey